All right, please be seated. Good morning. Okay, if you can take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin or continue in our exposition of the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning we're going to discuss the subject of false teachers. False teachers. And we're going to connect that with our subject from last week of the, the two paths that Jesus is warning his disciples about. So Matthew chapter 7. beginning at verse 13, and we'll end at verse 20 for this morning. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. And Jesus there is speaking about false teachers and how we can identify them. So Jesus, after exposing the false righteousness of the Pharisees, begins to close out his Sermon on the Mount by giving his disciples a series of warnings concerning the road that leads to heaven in contrast to the road that leads to hell and destruction. And then if you recall last week, brothers and sisters, we discussed from the text the main difference between those two roads. And Jesus, if you look at verse 13, he contrasts the wide gate... And we define the wide gate as being easy, right? And we identified from that easy believism. And I want to talk more about that this morning, okay? But he contrasted the wide gate of easy believism with the narrow gate. And he tells us why the gate is narrow. He says in verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult. So there's the two contrasts, right? The wide gate is what? Easy. And the narrow gate is what? Difficult, hard. And there's your contrast. Okay, so he moves from this contrast of, uh, the, uh, of these two paths, and then he moves into how to discern false teaching. And these are not two different subjects or two different topics, but they're connected. And this morning what I want to do is I want to connect easy believism with the second warning that Jesus gives his disciples in the passage, and that's how to discern false teachers and their false teaching. So this morning I want to discuss with you from this text how to avoid false teachers that promote the broad way of easy believism. I want to show you what that looks like in our day. All right? 
So here's the outline. Number one, we're going to review what we talked about, about easy believism, uh, just for those who might be joining us for the first time. Uh, number two, I want to illustrate and expose easy believism and its false teachers from three passages of Scripture. We'll probably just deal with one for the sake of time. And then second, or th the third thing we do, we'll do is I'll give you seven warnings how to avoid the broad way of easy believism. And that's just practical application there, brothers and sisters. Okay? Um, just wanted to recommend for your reading um, some... Uh, points in, in church history where, where these controversies had arose and then were squelled. Um, how many of you have heard of the antinomian controversy of the 17th century? Antinomians mean anti-law, no law, okay? That deals with the, the subject of what we're, we're talking about this morning. And then, uh, of course, in the 20th century, you, you have the controversy, the Lordship Salvation controversy between uh, John MacArthur and the guys at Masters, and, and then you got uh, Zane Hodges, he's passed on now, and the guys at um, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, right? And they kind of battled over these issues, and I want to say something about uh, that, although I don't believe that that's the main focus, all right? And that's why we have to be careful when we're doing exegesis, because we can get caught up into rabbit trails and miss what Jesus is actually talking about in this text, which applies to all, everywhere. Okay, not just what John MacArthur and Zane Hodges were battling, or the antinomian heresy, but across the board, okay? So, having said that, why don't we pray and ask God to bless me and you? Because without his blessing, uh, we don't stand a chance. God, thank you so much for your word. We pray that um, you would prepare our hearts to receive it, that we might be nourished by it, and that we might bear fruit for your glory. And God, I pray that you would help me to be clear. I pray that um, you would give your people here ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to obey that you might be glorified and we might be benefited. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we saw that being a true Christian and believing in Jesus is no easy road for anyone, right, brothers and sisters? There is no such thing as easy believism for the true child of God. And this, this morning what I want to do is I want to explain to you why that's the case using this whole idea of false teachers. Now let me say some things here, and this is where I want to bring in this controversy. How many of you have heard of the free grace movement? Okay, some of you. But free grace basically teaches that, um, you know, all you need to do to become a Christian is to make an intellectual assent to Jesus, affirm that Jesus is God, right? And you really don't need to back that with a life of discipleship, okay? But just your intellectual assent to Jesus Christ means you're in, you're saved. No questions asked, okay? Um, I believe that that's heresy. 
And I believe that that has paved the way to what we would call today in our culture easy believism. That means people made a one-time decision back when, and that's it, and they just put their confidence in that, and they don't examine their lives according to the Word of God. There's no discipleship to follow. You guys know what I'm talking about? Now, I'm not saying by that, brothers and sisters, I'm constantly going to be having to thread a needle here because I don't want to destroy the faith of those who may have put their confidence in Christ way back here or come to an altar call and actually got saved. You understand that? That happens. People do get saved from Billy Graham crusades and things like that, okay? And so we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. What we're trying to do is we're trying to squell this bad doctrine of easy believism and that everyone who just claims to be a Christian, okay, uh, we just, you know, say, come on in, you're a Christian without no test or no criteria, no qualifications. Okay, we have to be careful. The Bible does give tests. The Bible does give qualifications and criteria for who's who, all right? And we got to be willing to undergo that kind of scrutiny. Amen? Amen. Is that fair? So, I get the fact that the free grace advocates are trying to avoid, one, legalism. I get that, brothers and sisters. So the pushback would be like, yeah, but you guys who promote this whole discipleship stuff, and you've you got to you know, examine your faith, uh, and you've got to give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. By the way, that's scripture. Okay? You know, that stuff leads to legalism. That stuff leads to this oppressive, duty-filled, you know, I can never measure up kind of joyless Christianity. I get that they're trying to avoid that. So so I just want you to know that as we're talking about these things, I get that whole thing, all right? I get the fact that they're trying to avoid a, a, a merit approach to our relating to God. You understand? And I believe Zane Hodges was sincerely trying to thread a needle and work this out for himself and so on and so forth. And everyone who wrestles through these things, you and I, brothers, and you should be wrestling through these things, by the way. This is very important. The question is, where do you fall out in regards to this? What do you believe? And what do you think the scriptures actually mean by what they say when they talk about these things, right? So our hermeneutic is so important here in our exegesis. That's just a plug for what we're doing on another day here at EGBC. Okay? So, but I I get that the free grace movement and other advocates are are trying to squell that. So, let me say this with the free grace movement. Let me say this with even some antinomians, okay? And I don't know of any that exist today, but just for the sake of argument here. I would consider this an in-house argument. What I mean by in-house argument, I'm not saying that because they hold this view that they're unsaved. Okay, I'm not going there. God's the only one that judges the heart, not Ernie King or another person, right? So don't hear me that way when I'm talking about these things. When, when, I, when I make discernment, I'm not saying they're unsaved and we're all saved over here. Okay, we, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that for judgment day. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help you to identify bad doctrine and false teachers, Okay, and we'll let the scriptures speak to us about that. So let me say this, but in their attempts, that's the free grace movement, I believe they turn the grace of God into a license to sin, or what the Bible calls lawlessness. Okay, another term for it would be licentiousness. 
It's where we go too far and we start taking license to do things. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because we're free, right? And then we go too far in our freedom and we start taking license to do things and before you know it, we become lawless. And I'll explain that in a bit. Um, It's the same spirit that's happening in America, by the way. You know, no absolutes, right? No law of God anymore. You know, we all don't have to answer to that. We, We just make, you know, we can do what's right in our own eyes, right? And we can live and let live. And then how's that working for us? It's not good, brothers and sisters. I hope you see that. Okay? It is not good. Everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes, and we're beginning to reap the whirlwind as a result because we've gotten away from some important foundations that God has established our nation on. Namely, his law. So, brethren, beware, beware, beware of lawless Christianity. Okay? Beware of the brand of Christianity that wants nothing to do with the law of God or any teaching that disconnects true saving faith from the realities of sanctification and submission to the commandments and lordship of Jesus Christ. You guys tracking with me so far? So, whether we're talking about the antinomians that say the Old Testament was a covenant of works, but under the new covenant of grace, um, but we are under the new covenant of grace, and therefore we do not need the law, we just need to love, right? And love fulfills law, and they go to the verses in the Bible and they say, yeah, that's, you know, the, the, the law is all summed up in love, and all we need to do is love. Okay, and usually the love is out without discernment and without distinction. And the reason for that is because there's no law to define it. Okay, and we'll get to that. But beware of that. Or whether we're talking about the prosperity gospel and their teachings that leave out the doctrine of Christian suffering as a means of sanctification, or we're talking about the free grace dispensational movement that fails to properly connect the teachings of justification with discipleship, or, and check this one out, We're talking about the legalistic camps that substitute God's law for human traditions, i.e. the Pharisees. What they all have in common is what Jesus is talking about in the text. Okay, and that's what I want you guys to pay attention to this morning. All these, and many others, have one thing in common that Jesus is identifying in our text, and that is they are all powerless against the sin nature. Okay? All false religion is powerless against the sin nature. Sin will have its way with anyone who's not born again of the Spirit of God. You guys get it? You understand? You will do what your nature tells you to unless you have the Spirit of God in you. So I don't care how much you clean up your act. I don't care how much you become a part of a religion. I don't care how doctrinally right that religion is. Okay, if you do not have the Spirit of God in you, your flesh will have its way with you. Right? Get it? It just boils down to that. It doesn't matter how much religious garbs on top. It doesn't matter what camps you get with. It doesn't matter how well you perform in that camp. All right? If your nature's still what it is, it is what it is. Follow me? 
you are not going to teach a shark to eat grass. Right? It ain't going to happen. Nor are you going to teach a sheep to eat meat. You understand? By their nature, you will what? Know them. Okay? See, an apple tree cannot produce what? Oranges. Nor can an orange tree produce what? Apples. An apple tree is an apple tree because that's its nature. That's what it does. That's what it's been designed to do. And it is what it is. You understand? And that's what Jesus is identifying in the text here about false teachers. They can talk a good talk. They can behave a certain way. They can practice certain things. But they'll be true to their nature without exception. You understand, brothers and sisters? And either they have the Spirit of God or they what? Don't. And if you, can't, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you can't produce spiritual stuff. It's just not going to happen. Because a good tree can't produce bad things and a bad tree can't produce good things. See the point? All right? So all these systems and, and all these, this religious garb and this stuff has this in common. It is powerless against the sin nature. And I want to show you what God has given us grace to do from the scriptures itself. A, number one, for all Christians without exception, everywhere, whenever they walk the planet, and whenever they, you know, uh, name the name of Christ, okay? But before we do that, let's turn to Colossians 2 to highlight this. Now, while we're doing that, here's another plug for Wednesday, I want you guys to test my hermeneutic, how I go about handling the scriptures, how I come to truth, how I draw out meaning from the word of God, okay? Remember, my fundamental principle is the scriptures are self-contained. The scriptures interpret themselves. The scriptures define their own terms. It's all inspired. All right? Jesus gave us this heads up. He said, stick to what is what? Written. That's how you battle the devil. That's how you discern false doctrine. Stick to what is written. Stick to what is inspired. Okay? The reformers put it this way. Sola Scriptura. Right? The scriptures alone or the final authority. The sufficiency of the scriptures. That means we got all this stuff out there. We got the general revelation. We got history and all that we can go to. But the scriptures are actually adequate. They get the job done. Right? They're sufficient. So, all things are ours. But what God has given us and what we really need is wrapped up in this book. So, we want to start here. Right? We want to make sure that we get this down then we're free to what? Check out all the other things that God has given us. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay? So, in Colossians 2, uh, Paul writing to the Colossians has this to say about this same threat. And he starts in 2.8, and we, we read this last time. Beware of... Uh, just read in 8, just... Just to pick up the context, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So Paul's warning them against false teachers, people who come in with vain philosophies and traditions that try to lead people away from their head, lead Christians away from Christ. Okay, and then he goes on to talk about um, some of the ways they do that. 
And uh, he, he highlights what we would call legalism. But I want you to drop down to verse 17, uh, verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moons or Sabbath. That means let no one judge you in regards to external ceremony. Okay? Because the threat back then was Judaism. And the, Jew, the Jews were still trying to battle this new sect that arose in Israel called Christianity, right? And Judaism promotes their religion, their traditions, and all this external stuff. And Paul's saying, you don't need that. You have Christ now. Make sense? And some of the Jews that didn't understand Christianity or Jesus were promoting this Judaism, this legalism. All right? And so in verse 17, Paul goes on to explain what all this ceremony represented. Verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of who? Christ. So Paul's even explained all that Judaism's religious garb and stuff. He says all that represented who? Christ. That's what it was all about. And of course, they're not going to get it because they're not submitted to Christ, right? But we get that. So let's move on. Verse uh, 18, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in a false humility and a worship of angels, intruding into those things which has, they have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from which all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. All right, so he warns them against these false teachers that are coming in. In verse 20, he says this, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world... Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using. And what Paul's talking about is external religion, according to the commandments and doctrines of Ben. So you can connect that with the Pharisees and everything the Pharisees were doing, right? Okay? The Pharisees would wash their hands before they eat. Remember that? Remember that passage? The Pharisees came to Jesus and said, how come your disciples don't follow our traditions? See, see the connection there? It's all external. External garb. And it makes you feel good. You feel humble when you do it, right? If we all line up and, and Pastor Ernie's washing his hand and all the pastors here are washing their hands and we're calling this a holy work before God and we do the, you know, whatever, and you know, our thing, our ritual, we're going to feel holy. We're going to feel humble. We're going to feel special. We're going to feel, Right? Well, that's what's going on. That goes on with any religion or any culture. You've got to have standards for holiness, right? But it, the, the, what Paul's calling it here is false. It's not true. Notice what he says. What, what's false about it? Verse 22, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. That means they're not from God. They're, they have their foundations and origin in men. Verse 23, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom, it looks wise when the Pharisees do that in a humble way. You know, wash their hands and everybody's looking at them. They got all their garb on and they look holy, right? And it looks wise. In self-imposed religion, false humility. Looks very humble, but it's false. And neglect of the body. Here it is. Here, here's, what, here, here's the kicker. That's what I want you guys to get but are of no value against the indulgences of the what? You know what that flesh means? Your sin nature. You understand that? 
It has no power and no effect there. You look holy, you do all these rituals, you go through all these things, and it has nothing to do with affecting your sin nature. Okay? Does that make sense, guys? So, you're doing all this stuff, and it looks holy, it looks good, but your nature's still intact, is what he's saying. You get it? All right? And then if you'll note in 3.1, he says this, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is... When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, here's the kicker, put to death, what? Your sin, what? Ah. Okay, we'll talk about that, because that's where true religion goes. That's where true sanctification goes. That's where true holiness and true righteousness goes. Right? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the mortification of sin. All right? And I I just want to stop there, and I want to go to other passages to highlight this. And let me just say this before we move on. Bad doctrine and false teachers will always lead people away from what we're talking about here. In other words, they won't address sin in the heart of man. Or more pointedly, they will make excuses for sinful living all the time without exception. That's what bad doctrine does. Okay, so just health and wealth, prosperity, dispensational, you name it, whatever, wherever there's doctrinal heresy, you know what it's going to, you know, the end where, where it all ends, it has no power against your sin nature. You know what that means? So if you're struggling with sin, and we all do, don't we, brothers and sisters, and we want help for it, and we run to these men, it's not going to what? Help us. It's not going to work. It, it, it's powerless. You know, when I was uh, growing up, I was raised a Catholic, and uh, part of my testimony was, when I became a teenager, I began to experience, I had these powers, you know, I felt like a superhero. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was a little faster than the next guy, you know, a little cuter too, but uh, just kidding, (laughs) just kidding. But my point is, you know, you, 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 you come in touch with the fact that you've been given gifts and stuff, right? And we're like the person who wants to sow their oats now. We're excited. You know, youth, right? It's setting in and I'm blooming and I want to flower and I want to use everything, touch everything like the kid who's learning to walk and, you know, all over the place. Well, youth do that too, right? And what happened was I became out of control, right? And I started fornicating. Yeah, I started smoking marijuana. See, my, my, my flesh was out of control. And, and, and before you know it, I, I was living a lifestyle that contradicted what my mom and dad were trying to teach me and tell me about, and I felt guilty. And I didn't know what to do with my guilt. And so I went to my Catholic priest, and I asked him, how do I deal with guilt? You understand? And this is what God began to use to break the Catholic shackles off of Ernie King's soul that I was in bondage to. Because what they told me to do is I went through a series of rituals, right? I go to the priest, I confess my sin in a little booth, and I, this, the priest had me do some Hail Marys, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, and so on and so forth, right? And recite that, and do a couple of other things, 
and you're good. And so I did that. But you know what happened? It didn't have my conscience. You guys know what I mean? It didn't have my conscience? Huh? It didn't hold or carry my conscience. I knew I still felt guilty. I still felt something was wrong. This is not working. Do you understand? I knew this wasn't an answer for sin and my sin nature because I was still doing the things that I was doing. Right after I got, I remember one time, right after I got out, I went out and smoked in a parking lot. And I was like, what is going on here? It was powerless against the indulgences of my sin nature. Do you understand that? And I was like, okay, so where do I go from here? Because, hey, wait a minute. This is not working. And my brother, one of my brothers were, was, was having these Bible studies. And guess what? Billy Graham was in town and he had a crusade in the 80s. And he, his slogan was, you must be born again. You must be born again. So that was all over the city, right? Just this slogan. They were advertising it on the radio. And my brother was holding Bible studies with this slogan, you must be born again. And I was like, born again? What's that? Because I think that's what I, guess what? Need. I think I need a new what? Nature. A new heart. I need my insides dealt with. Because even though I was doing all these external things, Hail Mary full of grace and all this stuff and doing what the man of God over here was telling me to do, my insides weren't changed. My nature was still the same. You understand that? And so I went and did all those things, but I would gravitate right back towards my what? My sin. And that's what I didn't have an answer for, brothers and sisters. That wasn't broken in Ernie King. I wasn't broken and contrite. I was just guilt-ridden because I was betraying my dad and mom, my, my father and mother's upbringing. So I was, and God used that, right, in my life, but that's not salvation. I wasn't broken and contrite. I was just trying to get out, get this monkey off my back, get this guilt. You know, I don't want to feel guilty. Mom and dad, I, mom, I, every time I looked at my mom, I was like, mom, I'm crushing her. If, if she knew who I really was, whew, she couldn't take it. Now, she could because she was mom, right? But I didn't know that. And then I thought my dad was going to kill me if he found out. Right? So there's a good picture of God, right? No. So, so I had to come to terms with this whole idea of being born again. And the Lord used that in my life to get me seeking his word. And I went to John 3. Because I knew that's where the text, where they were, you know, teaching all this. And I was like, Lord, I, that's what I need right there. I need to be born again. And I couldn't do that for myself. You understand? Salvation is not of works. It's not something you can perform for yourself. Just like you didn't recreate, or you didn't make yourself to be a human. But I knew this. I knew the one who could make me born again. And I knew I had to square up with him now. You get it? And I began to seek the Lord while he may be found. I began to call ye upon him. And God saved me, brothers and sisters. He saved me. He gave me that which I sought after him for. And he made me born again. And I was like, ah, that's it. Now I see. Not perfectly now. That's another story. I continue to sin, but uh, with qualification, not the same sins I was doing, okay? But let me, I, we'll, we'll get to that. So, back to the text here. So you guys can see how 
Um, false religion, religious garb, and all this kind of nonsense doesn't have any power against the sin nature, right? You guys get that, right? Okay, so um, that's how I understand easy believism. Okay? Because what really makes believing hard, you guys, you know, and you guys will hear me say this from time to time, you know, being a 30-year-old Christian, 30-plus-year-old Christian, I'm tired. I want to go home. You know, I want to be done. Guess what? Fighting sin. Don't you? Think of it for a second. If there were no sin in our lives and in this world, oh, right? Oh. Just, just think of that for a second here. That is a, no more pain, no more suffering. And those are byproducts, right? Those are just byproducts. Let's start there. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, right? But think about what's happening on our streets. Think about why we have police. You understand, if there was no sin right now, I wouldn't have to lock my doors at my home right now and worry about my TV or whatever's in my house. You know what I mean? Just peace of mind. Just, this is great. And that's what God originally intended. That's what I'm talking about. I can't wait for heaven. There's rewards. It's paradise. Don't you guys want that? I do. I'm living for that. And don't try to convince me that you don't start talking about rewards. You know, you, you can't do things for rewards. I am. You go ahead and do what you want to do for whatever you want to do, but my Bible tells me that there's rewards to be had. And there's mansions to be had. I want one. Okay? By God's grace, I want one. And that's okay, you see. But we're not there. We're not in heaven. We got a battle. Hebrews puts it this way. You haven't even shed blood against your fight against what? Sin. You understand? See what makes it difficult? You see what Jesus is talking about when he says hard is the way and difficult and few find it because they don't want to deal with their sin nature. They don't want to battle sin all their days. Do you understand that? They want the easy Broadway that just says, you know what, you can do religion and don't worry about your sin. And sometimes they pose it this way. God took care of that on the cross. And He did. But not the way they mean it. You guys know what I'm talking about. If you ain't killing sin, sin is guess what? Killing you. Some old dead white man said that years ago. And he was dead right. <laughs> By the way, that's John Owen. He's a Puritan. So, Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter, and I'm going to connect easy believism with false teaching in this whole issue. And I want to show you guys, you remember I told you hermeneutically speaking, when you're on to something in Scripture, it just starts showing up all over the place. It's just like, man, Lord, I'm done. I, there's so much information here. You, you know what I mean? This is one of those things. All over Scriptures, you'll see this. You know? So, in 2 Peter... He's talking about false teachers here, and he's given us the anatomy of false teachers. The anatomy of false teachers. And it's right in line with what Jesus is saying in uh, Matthew and any other 
uh, area in the New Testament that describes false teachers. Because the scriptures is one whole, it cannot be broken. And it won't contradict itself. Let's start in verse 1. But there were also false prophets, and you can translate that in the original as teachers, or it can be transliterated teachers. In fact, some of your your copies might render it false teachers, okay? But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. So Peter's trying to warn them, just like Jesus is warning his hearers or his disciples back in Matthew 7. Even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. Remember, many, broad, many, get on it because it's broad, it's wide. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Now watch the nature of these men. By what? Covetousness. You guys know what covetousness is? It's an old, archaic term for greed. Greedy. What's moving these men to do what they're doing? Greed. That's why they're exploiting these people. So you see how Peter's picking up on that right away. What's moving these men... You will know them by their fruits is greed. See how we're paying attention to the greed now? You and I? See, you can know them by their fruits. You can know them by their fruits, Jesus said. Not so much by what they say, but what's moving these men. Do you understand? Greed. One. No, remember false religion has no power against what? The flesh. These people are not even in tune with their own hearts. They never do this with the Word of God and they don't examine themselves to see if they're in the faith, you know, that kind of stuff. They're inoculated from that. You understand? No heart religion. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. And then he gives three examples of people who caved into their flesh and lived according to the flesh and perished as a result. He gives the example in verse 4 of the angels. He gives the example in verse 5 of the ancient world in Noah. And then he gives the example in verses uh, 7 through uh, 8. And let's read that one just for the sake of time. And delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed. Sodom and Gomorrah would be the third one. Oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. The what? Filthy conduct of the wicked. Listen, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their what? Lawless deeds. Right? Lawless deeds. No law. We want to be free. We want to do as we please. Right? Without any restraint. You understand? What, you, what do you think got Sodom and Gomorrah into trouble? Right? Remember what they said about Lot? Man, you come in here and now you're judging us? We're going to do worse to you than to them because you sit, you're sitting as our judge. You know what they're really saying to him? Right. Don't, don't hold me accountable. Right? Isn't that, what we, that, isn't that the wind that's blowing in America right now? 
Nobody wants to be really held accountable. No law. Let's, let's just do as we please, right? Okay. Where's that headed, brothers and sisters? How's that going to work for us if we keep going down that path? He says, verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the, what? Flesh. Their sin nature. In the lust of uncleanness, they despise authority. So you can, you can identify them. They're not, they're not submitted to authority, right? They're covetous, right? This is the flesh. They are presumptuous. They're self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, Right? You remember how we talked about the shark can't help but go towards the meat and the blood and the water? Like natural brute beasts. Or the, 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 the cow that mm, has got to have the grass. Naturally. It's their nature. This is what they do. You, you see what I'm saying? This is what he means by you'll, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Get it? He says... Verse 12, but these like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. And Galatians says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that will he reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap what? Corruption. Following the flesh. And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure and carouse in the daytime. Their spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery. There's another sin. And that cannot cease from sin. See how they can't help themselves? So you guys see what I'm talking about? Can't help it. It's their nature. Okay, I know this is dark, guys, but just bear with me. It's the Word of God. We'll, we'll get over it. We, we got grace. Verse 14, or 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam the son of Beor, who loved the wages of righteous or unrighteousness. Remember Paul told Timothy, beware, beware, Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he warned Timothy. He says, beware the money bug, Timothy, in ministry. Right? Which drown men, shipwreck their faith, and move them away. Right? Like Balaam. Old Testament guy who got caught up into this because he wasn't watching his heart. And God had to send a donkey, a jack boop, to stop him in his way, right? In fact, it says it here. Verse, they have forsaken the right way, gone verse 16, but he was rebuked for his iniquity by a, you fill in the blank, speaking with the man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried about by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, watch this, they allure through the lust of the what? The flesh. Through lewdness, and that can be translated lasciviousness or licentiousness. Okay? Okay? You guys know what that means? It's not, it's not like we're all looking to go do lewd acts. But what we're looking for is just to be free. I don't want any accountability. 
right? No law. Antinomian. And then before you know it, we start taking what? License. And we, we start getting away from things like, watch it, church. And Satan goes, watch him. Demon number four. Watch that one. That little foal that's, you know, we stop reading and praying. You guys know what I'm talking about? We no longer want accountability. Right? We start kicking against that, bucking against it. Right? And you're being drawn away. And you're okay with it. No, we're not. He says, uh, verse 19, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. Hear that? While they promised them what? Freedom. You want to be free? And freedom looks like this in Christianity, brothers and sisters. Man, I don't want to, you know, I don't want that oppressive law, duty. Just, you know, I want to hear free grace. Free grace, where once you're saved, you know, you don't have to worry anymore. You don't have to doubt your salvation. You're in. And even though that's true, be careful as to how that's played out in your sanctification. Because that doctrine could lead you astray if it's connected with a bad heart. Or if it's taught by a bad heart. You guys know what I'm talking about. All right? So when people come in talking this free grace and you don't want to be held accountable for your sin, and you don't want to fight sin, and you don't want to have to suffer to make it to heaven, you don't want to do those things that are difficult, you, know, you, do, you don't want to feel the, the, the tension of having to be pressed so you can get on your knees and weep and cry and cry out to the Lord. You, know, you just don't want that kind of Christianity, the narrow way, the difficult way. Beware. Beware. You guys know what I'm talking about. Beware. It's out there. It's all over the place, brothers and sisters. It's even in the political winds in America right now. Lawlessness. Lawlessness. And it will destroy us if we buy into it. Because it's heresy. It's evil. It's wrong. And it kills. Okay? Turn to Matthew chapter 23. And I want to tie this in with the Pharisees. How Jesus says this about them. And then we'll, we'll talk about true grace. And then we'll wrap this up. Okay? Matthew chapter 23. And... You know, at some point, if you're not convinced, you can read this whole chapter. But look at verses uh, 25 through 28. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, speaking about their, their bodies and uh, um, their religious practices, but inside they are full of extortion and self indulgence. Inside, inside, what does that mean, inside? Their hearts. Their hearts. You see, religion doesn't affect that area. They don't even know what's going on in there. The pastoring that they listen to doesn't speak to them at that level. They just want to know what's the next activity we need to do. Where do we go? What mission trip do you want us to go on? Where do you want us to do some good work over here or there? You know, activity, externals. And Jesus says, no, watch your heart. 
Watch your heart. What are you doing with Mrs. So-and-so, the widow, okay, who's got a lot of money now that her husband died? Why are you Pharisees always gravitating towards that house? Because you love money. That's what's really going on. Hey, I never looked at the Pharisees that way. You guys are going over Mrs. So-and-so's house and all those widows that have the money that are left behind because you love money? That's what Jesus said. You get it? Painful stuff, isn't it? Right? Verse 25, woe to, or verse, blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup. Jesus is telling them this. First clean the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean. Why is he saying that to them? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Now watch how he drives it home here in verse 28. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy, and guess there's the term again, lawlessness. Lawlessness. Remember what Jesus said, and we're going to get to this, uh, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, many in that day are going to come to him and say, Lord, Lord, wide gate, Lord, Lord, did we not what? Do this, do this, and do this in your name. We used your name. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. There it is again, lawless Christian, a lawless brand of Christianity. You understand? Dangerous, brothers and sisters. And it's very subtle. Very, very subtle. And Jesus is warning his disciples and pastors must warn their people. Okay, we practice heart religion. That's why Jesus says, whosoever looks upon a woman to lust has already did what? Where? He says, if you are angry with your brother without cause around here, he says, look at your heart because there's murder there. See, we practice heart religion. We take the word of God and we apply it to the heart. And you say, well, why do we do that? So we can all be depressed around here and morbid and, and just, oh man, what, there's that seat? That's where we're trying to get out of, that oppressive duty. You know, no, so you can run to Jesus. So you can see him as the savior of sinners. We forgot about preaching the law. I'm, a, a preacher who does that is just preaching the law. And by the law is the knowledge of what? Sin. You understand that? See, if I don't preach the law... And we just, you know, we just polish our, our, our doctrines here and our, our, you know, everything we're doing right and we got it all together. What are we doing? We don't need help. We got it all together. Yeah, if we think we do, we're, gonna, we're not going to be any good to those out there because they're just going to go, woo, these people, what? <laughs> Smell of something. It's called hypocrisy. The law of God keeps us fresh. The law of God says, no, Ernie King, you, you, have you been checking your heart lately? Because you got some things going on there in your backyard that needs to be dealt with. Right? Don't go around judging. And as you deal with that, yeah, I need to show some compassion over here because I've been there, done that. See? It, quali it actually qualifies you to help and come in with some compassion and some grace and faithfully represent Christ in his kingdom as you help other sinners instead of sitting as their judge. You guys see what I'm saying? Heart religion will always do that, brothers and sisters. Phony religion won't. Phony religion doesn't want the heart touched. Doesn't want the nature dealt with. Right? Wants to keep that intact. Wants to be free, if you will. Okay? So, where's that taught in Scripture? Okay, let me just finish this and then we'll move on. What are you scribes and Pharisees because you build the tombs of the... Okay, we read that. Lawlessness. 
So, where in Scripture does it teach this doctrine about the grace of God and what it truly teaches? And there's plenty of passages, but I want you to focus on Titus 2. You didn't have to turn there, I'll just read it. Listen, this is the Bible. For the grace, and it's going to define grace for us, for the grace of God that brings salvation, just so that we don't make a soteriology, a soteriological mistake here. For the grace of God that saves. Grace that saves. Okay? So the free grace can't, dis- we, we, can't just, we, we can't disconnect this from discipleship is my point. He's saying the grace that he's talking about is the same grace that saves. Okay? That John MacArthur uses, grace to you. That grace from Fair Oaks uses, and all the other graces in our, our community. Right? Plus the free grace who claim to know the grace of God. Right? And then we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound, right? So grace, 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 grace. We all know the term. Now let's stuff it with biblical meaning. You understand? Because we all know the term, but what do you mean by the grace of God? Are you talking about the free grace rendition? Are you talking about this rendition? What rendition are you talking about, Paul? He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching, this is what it teaches, Listen, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, where does worldly lust dwell? Where does a lust dwell, period? Heart. Heart. You understand? The heart. So when true grace comes, right, and it makes you born again, you know what it actually exposes you to? Yourself. I'm alive. Now I see I was blind, but now I see, Lord. Not just you, but I see, I see how filthy I am. I see the cause of why I was so, you know, committing a fornication and, and okay with, you know, I'm just a girl watcher. And God says, Ernie, now that you're alive to me, I call that adultery. And I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you for helping me to know my heart. And Paul said, I would not have known covetous, Lord, unless your laws had said, thou shall not what? covet. That's, Paul said, covet, what's that? <gasps> Woo. You understand? Are you afraid of God's law, brothers and sisters? Or do you scream like David, oh, how I love your what? Law. It is my meditation what? All the day. Not so that we can go around being morbid, depressed, and, and convicted, and beat down. No, so that we can know Jesus for who he really is. You understand that? God's law brings me to Jesus. It brought me to there for salvation. Grace brought me to there for salvation, but it continues to bring me there when I see sin. I don't got what it takes to handle my sin, do you? And my sin doesn't just go away because I'm saved, right? We continue all the way. We persevere by God's grace. Amen? He says, The grace of God that appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So, what that means, beloved, is true saving faith will nail the flesh to the wall. Okay? It won't make excuses for it. Right? It won't allow it to have it. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lusts. The Bible in Romans chapter 6 says, you are not under the law but under grace. Therefore, sin shall not have what? That means sin won't dominate you any longer because you are under my favor, God says. My grace. 
favor and grace, unmerited favor. This is what it does. This is what it looks like. It will address your sin nature. See the point? It's the only thing that it can address your sin nature. You see? And without it, sin, the devil, and the world will make mincemeat out of us. And we know that, don't we? Right? Hard is the way and difficult, brothers and sisters, but we have a great Savior, don't we? Who wants to die to self daily? Who wants to practice killing sin daily? This is biblical language. Who wants to be accountable to God's moral law? Who wants to sacrifice money and pleasure and time for helping the poor and needy? Who wants to practice church discipline? None of these things appeal to our sin nature. Right? It's difficult. But he giveth more grace. Therefore God says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Closing applications, and we'll just run through these. Number one, brethren, beware when you no longer want to be held accountable for sinful living, and you want a kind of grace that's free from accountability. Okay? That is not grace. All right? You know, the whole mentality, don't judge me. Uh, you know, don't, 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 don't hold me accountable to God's standards. I, you know, I've all, I always say I hold Christians to Christian what? Standards. Okay? If you don't want to be held to Christian standards, don't claim to be a Christian. I say that in love. I do, really. These teachers have simply redefined freedom in Christ. Paul says clearly, we are not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, 13. Beware, the flesh will take advantage of that kind of freedom, if you will. And before you know it, you'll be doing what the Galatians were doing, biting and devouring one another. Paul says, see, the flesh is at work in your uh, midst. You're biting and devouring one another, and take heed, lest you be consumed by one another. See, they lost sight of the true grace of God. And they stopped mortifying sin. Because hard and difficult it is to do that. Number two, beware when you want a brand of grace that doesn't want anything to do with law, rules, or commandment keeping. Jesus actually said, those who love me will keep my commandments. And let me just say this. The commandments of God actually define God's love. Okay? So you know how people out there in the world say, you know what, you just need to be more loving. They're right. But not defined by them, but defined by God's law. The Bible says all the law summed up in one word, love. And you know what that means? When the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not murder. Think it through, brothers. Hey, if I don't do that to my neighbor, I'm actually loving them. When I don't steal from you, when I don't commit adultery on you, when I don't lie to you, when I don't... That's what love looks... Hey, thank you, Lord. Your law is defining love for me. See? So we don't say no law. We say law because I need to know what sin actually looks like. And then when I see it, I go, ooh, I got some of that here. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross because that's what frees me. You understand? But I don't have to make excuses for this because there's no condemnation. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He's got our backs. You see the point? Beware of grace, a time of grace that allows you to isolate yourself from the accountability of God's people and the local church. All right? 
I would encourage you to say to yourself, yes, I love God's people and the local church, and I will not forsake the assembling of myself, especially as I see the day draw near. You know why, brothers and sisters? Because I need you and you need me to keep each other accountable. And we're going to talk about this next week, okay, or the next time. We've got to give this a break because this is heavy. I know that. So I'm going on vacation, so we'll get a break. But Jesus goes on to talk about, right? He goes on to talk about, Lord, Lord, did we not? Did we not? And you know what he's really highlighting here and what he's going to deal with? Self-deceived people. Self-deceived. So when we stick with the local church and we follow the pathway to paradise like Jesus is laying out for his disciples, we become accountable. We hold each other accountable to where we, we uh, Pastor Carson will come to you and say, hey, bro. What's going on? I see that you, you know, you, I saw you doing this the other day. And I'm like, okay, yeah, brother, pray for me. I need that. I don't, I don't want to run from that. You guys get it? Too much isolation, too much me time leaves me, right? Trusting my own heart, leaning on my own understanding. And God says, no, get with people. And they'll balance that. They'll keep you on the narrow path. It's difficult, but it's the narrow path, right? Number four, beware of grace that allows you to continue in, or to continue in sin by substituting works and activity in exchange for dealing with your heart. That's not, they're not one and the same, brothers and sisters. You know, people that get all caught up in activity and works and, and things around the church or whatever, and they're clueless as to where their heart is before the Lord. That's not healthy. That's not good. That's not, that, that's, and you guys should want pastors that recognize that and see that and help you to get out of that. That's not healthy. That's not going to do anything but make a mess in the church eventually. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. Hopefully we'll be gracious and kind, but you need that. I need that. All right. Um, number five, avoid churches that don't practice church discipline. Why? Because what does it tell you about the church? They ain't dealing with what? And that takes care of itself, right? If a church ain't practiced church discipline in 20 years, <laughs> I'm just like, what? Is there sinners there? <laughs> now, I'm not saying we go looking for church discipline. But you guys, when, obviously we should want a church that practices church discipline, right? Beware of churches that do not preach the law of God. The law of God is our only hope for defining sin and seeing it for what it truly is. We lose sight of the law. We will become like the Americans. Romans chapter 7 says, By the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul said, I would not have known sin except it was by the law. And he's rejoicing in that. Because sin was like a boa constrictor slowly getting around him. And he was like, yeah, see my pet? See my pet? You want to touch it? And then it was just like, and he's getting comfortable with it, right? And then one day, and he's just like, gone. And the law says, Paul, you're getting too close with that. It's going to constrict on you, and you're going to have any breath anymore. You're going to die. Number seven, beware of Christianity that doesn't teach you how to fight or kill or mortify sin. 
Brothers and sisters, we will, we will deal with this doctrine, how to kill sin. We have to. I would say, you know, just in my experience as a pastor, most people who get entangled in sin and who struggle with sin are good God's people, Christians. The reason for that is because they haven't been taught how to deal with sin. It's not so much that they love it and they're holding on to it and they're being wicked and evil, you know, being hypocritical. Don't let the devil make you feel that way, brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, okay? But you have to ask yourself, you know, have I ever really been taught by a pastor how to mortify sin? I know it's in Scripture, if you through the Spirit do put to death the deeds of the body. I know Paul talks about put off, put on. I know all that language, but what does that look like in time and space? And has anybody ever discipled us in that? And I'm not saying it hasn't been done. I'm just saying you guys have to ask to be beware of that. We're talking about false teachers, right? Teachers that allow us, you and I, who name the name of Christ, to continue living in what? Shall we continue living in sin? God forbid. How shall we that died to Christ live any longer therein, Paul says, right? Then he goes on to say, don't you know that whoever you present yourself to be a slave to, it will enslave you, right? Last but not least, beware, brethren, of any brand of Christianity that doesn't deal with sin and that makes the Christian life easy. There's your easy believism in a nutshell. Okay? Jesus said, hard is the way and difficult is the path to heaven and few find it. And this is what I believe. Why? This is why he said it. Because we have been given God's favor to deal with sin and we have to make a choice. And God's people, those who've been born again, those who have, have experienced God's grace in the soul, God has in, in, infused you with that so that you can no longer allow sin to have its way with you. And that's hard going, brothers and sisters. It really is. Because sin dogs our heels daily, doesn't it? And, and if you ain't killing sin, it's going to try to kill you. We have assassins here. We have hijackers within us. And so this is the reason why we need things like prayer, coming to church, devotions daily. That's why we do that. You understand that? It keeps us healthy, spiritually healthy. Amen? This wasn't too heavy, was it? Okay, good. Um, closing word to if you're outside of Christ. I hope that my explanation of this, at least you can relate to the sin issue, Right? So if you're outside of Christ, what we're calling sin, we know is you're a part of your experience, and you even know it. The things that we're describing, things like fornication, lying, stealing, everybody knows what you know, those things are wrong, right? At least I hope so. Maybe we need to say something about that. But so, Well, the Bible calls that sin, right? And, 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 and because you are, are born in Adam, because... You are fallen by nature. You have no power over that. And what your life is going to show you, is, it's just going to be like a reoccurring theme, like a broken record. It's, your whole life is going to show you that. You have no power over this. So what that looks like and what that means is even though you might clean up your life outwardly, 
you know in your heart, right? Just like I did when I was under Catholicism. Man, I got this problem with lust. And I don't know how to, you know, right? Or I got this problem with anger to where I want to kill people who cut me off. And, you know, you, you, you'll know you've got a problem with sin. And this sermon, just like all the other sermons here we preach here, is just another opportunity for you to run to Jesus and bow before him as your Lord and Savior and say, Lord Jesus, I'm convinced. You're Lord, you're God, and give me faith to believe and follow you. You understand? Ask God to save you. He will. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you've got to see yourself as a sinner. That's the issue before the Lord. Your sinnerhood. Your sinnerhood. And he doesn't want your works because that doesn't deal with your sin nature, right? He wants to recreate you and make you a new creature that truly worships and serves him for who he is. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. And we pray that we would know it and love it and sing about it and more importantly, live it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.